what we're going to be doing this morning on Mother's Day. We're going to look at a unique passage in Exodus chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. And we're going to look at a few passages from chapters 2, 3, and 4. The title for the sermon this morning is The Midianite Mother. The Midianite Mother. We're going to be talking about uh, Moses' wife, We're going to talk about Moses' wife. Her name is Zipporah. She's a Midianite. And so we're going to do a little study on her this morning. And I think you'll be encouraged by what we look at in God's word together. Let me pray for us and then we'll kick off our time together this morning. God, thank you for the opportunity to surrender all to the Lord Jesus, who is our all in all, who is our savior, who is our our sanctifier, who fills us with joy and peace. And, And I pray, God, that you would just be with us today as we do a study in the book of Exodus about Zipporah, Lord, what what an amazing opportunity to honor our moms today, to reflect on uh, godly uh, women of the Bible, and to just be encouraged today with the gospel truths that we'll see sprinkled throughout the the principles that we're looking at together this morning. I pray you be exalted in our time together, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I read an article recently entitled, Before I Was a Mom, and and I've read this before, but I was reflecting on it this week. It, It says this, it says, before I was a mom, I never tripped over toys or forgot words to a lullaby. I didn't worry whether or not my plants were poisonous. I never thought about immunizations. Before I was a mom, I had never been puked on, pooped on, chewed on, or peed on. I had complete control of my mind and my thoughts. I slept all night. Before I was a mom, I had never held down a screaming child so doctors could do tests or give shots. I never looked into the teary eyes and cried. I never got gloriously happy over a simple grin. I never sat up late hours at night watching a baby sleep. Before I was a mom, I had never held a sleeping baby just because I didn't want to put them down. I had never felt my heart break into a million pieces when I couldn't stop the hurt. I never knew something so small could affect my life so much. I never knew that I could love someone so much. I never knew that I would love being a mom. Before I was a mom, I didn't know the feeling of having my heart outside of my body. I didn't know how special it could be to feel what it's like to feed a hungry baby. I didn't know that bond between a mother and her child. I didn't know that something so small could make me feel so important and happy. Before I was a mom, I never had gotten up in the middle of the night every 10 minutes to make sure all was okay. I had never known the warmth, the joy, the love, the heartache, the wonderment, or the satisfaction of being a mom. I didn't know I was capable of feeling so much before I was a mom. It's a sweet article, right? It's a reminder, particularly in those younger years, for our moms this morning to be reminded of what a joy and a privilege. When I read that article, I I just thought that how all moms can relate to some of the feelings that this mom felt about being a mother. And as a father, I, I certainly do identify with my wife, who is an awesome mother, Uh, But I probably don't feel as deeply as she does about this article except for one paragraph. And it was the one that says, uh, I know what it likes to be pooped on, chewed on, and peed on, right? Dads get a little bit of that too, all right? Not as much as the moms, but if you're a dad, I know that's happened to you. But I just want to thank God this morning for our moms. That's what we want to do. We want to celebrate Jesus 
And we want to honor our moms this morning for they definitely have been an amazing God-given gift to unconditionally and to relentlessly care for others, especially children. And oh, I, I love my children too, but whenever I am alone with them, I can't wait for mama to get home. You know what I'm saying? You can't wait for mom to get home. And one of, the, one of the things that really unites us all here today on this Mother's Day is that whether you are rich or poor, or whether you are young or old, whether you're preferring a vegetarian diet this morning, or you're a carnivore, we all have a mom, right? We all have a mom. Some of us have a mom who's still living, others of us who have mothers who've passed away. Their memories certainly live on in our hearts and we can reflect on them this morning. But the God-given calling of a mother is often full of challenging difficulties and requires an exercise of self-denial and self-effacement, which is quite contrary to the natural instincts of human nature. A a humble, servant-oriented mom will sink her own interests at times and her individuality into the sea of the needs of her husband and of her family. A A selfless Um, others-focused mom will often go without to make sure that the family is being served and cared for in the very best of ways. And what's interesting about all of this is that in this kind of self-sacrifice, serve until you drop mentality with no public recognition or appreciation, this is exactly what a godly mom thrives on because it's an opportunity to be a reflection of Jesus who gave himself for us that we might have newness of life in him. You see, there's a connection between loving and giving. As John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And moms so love their kids that they give. They give sacrificially. They give purposely. They give with a heart of love. And so this morning, we just want to honor the the institution of motherhood. And we're going to do that this morning by preaching on this passage, a couple of different verses from Exodus 2 through 4, and and we're going to look at the life of Moses' wife, Zipporah. I've come to admire her and to appreciate her and even to respect her as an example of a godly mother. And so this morning, I want to to address our mothers, and I want to give you four truths from uh, these passages of Scripture that describe Zipporah's character as you seek to be a more godly and a more gracious and a more giving mother. These four truths, we're going to look at Zipporah was a hardworking woman. Zipporah was a good wife. Zipporah was a supportive follower. And Zipporah was an obedient mother. Let's start with number one together this morning. Zipporah was a hardworking woman. We're in Exodus chapter two, and let's look at verses 15 through 20. Here's what we read here where it says, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they had come home to their father, Rule, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with this man. 
and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Well, let's just start off this morning as we're looking at Zipporah being a hardworking woman. Let's start off with your first blank, if you are taking notes this morning, that just says the summary of how Moses got to Midian. We all have a story, right? We all have a background, and Moses has one of the most interesting stories that you've ever heard. Moses' father was from the house of Levi, and after being born, his mother had to hide him for three months because the Egyptians were casting Hebrew boys into the Nile River. And as you know the story that Moses' mom, when she could hide him no longer, she made a basket. She floated him down the Nile River, and then Miriam, Moses' older sister, watched the basket as it providentially floated into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. And while Moses' mother was able to nurse the baby until he was of age, she did have to eventually release Pharaoh to grow up in, in uh, release Moses, rather, to grow up in Pharaoh's household. But Moses didn't stay in Pharaoh's household forever. In fact, if you'll turn with me to Hebrews, so we're going to spend most of our time in Exodus, but this is one of my all-time favorite passages of Hebrews chapter 11, which tells us just a little bit more about the summary of Moses' story in the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And so by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. It's one of my all-time favorite passages. It's a great summary of really the life of Moses. And in this passage of Hebrews, we learn that Moses refused to continue to live in Pharaoh's house, that he refused the delicacies of living the high life. He refused the conveniences of Egypt. He would rather suffer as a soldier of Christ than to die in the comforts of this world. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He knew who his real mama was, and he went back to his people, and he fled from the pleasures of sin, and he considered the reproach of Christ as greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. And at some point, Moses saw the light, and part of that light was there was a calling. There was a special burden that he had for his own Hebrew people. And then let's look at what happens next. Back to Exodus chapter 2, back to Exodus chapter 2, as he's kind of being awakened to, to the fact that he's a Hebrew, we read in Exodus 2, 11 through 15, it says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, Behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. 
when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. That pretty much summarizes and gives us how Moses left um, Egypt and headed to Midian where he's going to meet his wife. And so let's look at your next subpoint there, the story of how Moses met Zipporah. We already kind of read about it. Zipporah was there with her sisters. They were going to try to water uh, their, their, their flock. And so Zipporah lived here in the land of Midian, which was located just east of the Red Sea, uh, specifically the Gulf of Aqaba, to be exact, present-day Jordan. And the Midianites were a nomadic tribe who were also known to meander around the Sinai Peninsula, which is most likely the setting of the events of our story this morning. Now, you, you may be surprised to know that while Zipporah was a Midianite, she was actually also a descendant of Abraham through Keturah. In fact, just so you can see it, turn to Genesis chapter 25, Genesis tw- chapter 25, 1 through 4. After Sarah, Moses' wife, had died, we read about how Moses takes another wife. Genesis 25, verse 1, Abraham, I said Moses, excuse me, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She, was, she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letashim, and Lumim. It's not just my jet lag, people. This is, uh, this is hard reading, all right? You know it's tough, all right? All right, now the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abadah, and Elda. All these were children of Keturah. So Adam, what, what's your point? My, my point is that this passage of Genesis chapter 25 shows that these Midianites, particularly Jethro, who was Zipporah's dad, was a descendant of Abraham through Keturah. Now, this doesn't mean there's a descendant through Isaac. It's not through the line of Hebrew people, but Moses, I mean, but Abraham did have another wife, and that's where the Midianites come from. And Zipporah and, and her dad, Jethro, may have already very well known about Yahweh. Re- remember, the, the Midianites were a nomadic tribe, and as was their custom of the nomadic tribes, everyone would pitch in and, and pull their own weight. Whether you were a man or a woman, uh, shepherding a flock of sheep in the hot, dry, dusty desert of the Sinai Peninsula would, would have been a normal, but yet a physically demanding job. And so these seven sisters, while they had some connection maybe to Abraham, lived in Midian and were a part of these nomads. And these seven sisters, they, they were hard workers. I mean, they knew nothing of air conditioning or electrical fans or a dirty chai tea latte from Hanu. They didn't know about the conveniences of modern life. These, these were shepherdesses. They were hard workers. And let me tell you, watering a flock of sheep from a well in the ancient world was no easy work. It would have required ropes and buckets and troughs in order to water their sheep. And not only was it hard work, but it was often dangerous. As the text talks about how there were some shepherds who basically were bullying them by the well. And we see these unscrupulous shepherds bully these poor sisters away from the well and away from their duty. These rambunctious punks had no idea that there was a special forces officer off-duty sitting right there. Moses, undoubtedly, 
had received the best of military training while in Egypt, and he quickly put down this dispute and delivered the beloved daughters of Jethro from evil. Pretty good story already, right? Let us take a quick note here that Moses was growing in his ability to deliver. While he had failed to deliver the Hebrew slave God's way, because he had taken matters into his own hand by killing the Egyptian guard, at least in this occurrence at the well, we see him in some small way becoming the deliverer that God had called him to be. And when it was all over, the daughters of the priest of Midian returned to their tent early and rule, also known as Jethro, asked, why have you come back so soon? And after giving him a report of the events of the day, Jethro is astonished that Moses had not been invited over so that he might be fed and properly thanked. The point I'm just trying to make again in this part of our message is that Zipporah was a hard worker, and moms, so are you. We want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for working so hard by loving us and by doing menial tasks such as grocery shopping and meal preparation and washing the dishes. Thank you for doing the laundry and for drying our clothes and ironing our clothes. Thank you for for cleaning the house and dusting the house and vacuuming the house. Thank you for getting the mail and opening the mail and throwing away all the junk mail. Thank you for planning for us and playing with us and praying for us. We want to thank you, moms, for being hard-working mothers. The second characteristic that I want you to see of Zipporah is this. Number two, Zipporah was a good wife. She was a good wife. And I already read verses 21 and 22, but it says, And Moses was content to dwell with the man, that's Jethro, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. There we see her name. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. We're going to say here a couple of subpoints about Zipporah being a good wife. First of all, we're going to say that she was faithful. We're going to say that she was faithful. Now, again, in verses 21 and 22, we don't get a whole lot of the details of the story of their attraction to each other. I mean, it's just like a man, like Moses, to write in this account of Exodus and to leave out the romantic details. I mean, it just simply says, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. And someone out there probably thinking, well, come on, Moses, tell us what happened. Tell us how you fell in love. I mean, didn't you learn anything from the other romances formed around the well of the patriarchs? You know, like the romances of Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel. Oh, how Moses maybe needed to learn a little bit from the Song of Solomon. I mean, write a poem or something about how you fell in love with this woman. Now, admittedly, I'm making an inference here with the point of me saying that Zipporah was faithful, but just think about it. No doubt Zipporah was committed to Moses and to him alone. And no doubt the marriage may have had a hint of arrangement to it, but she stayed with Moses for the long haul. And not only this, but if you'll turn with me to Exodus 18, turn over to chapter 18 and verses 1 through 5, you'll see the faithfulness of Zipporah on display in this text. It says this, Exodus 18, 1 through 5, now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah 
after he had sent her away, and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The other's name was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the Mount of God. And this passage, I think that we're just being reminded that ministry can be hard. Husbands and wives do good to serve together, but sometimes it may require time away from each other in the midst of their ministry. And while Moses was used by God to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, Zipporah was a faithful mom. She was serving her children in a safer place. And in Exodus 18 that we just read, Jethro is now bringing Zipporah back to Moses at Mount Sinai right before God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Moses had sent her away for the time being, but now Jethro was bringing her back. And the two sons' names also show that Zipporah was likely faithful to the Lord. Again, Gershom, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And Eliezer, the God of my fathers, was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And while Moses may have mentioned, uh, mainly is mentioned for naming the children, I'm pretty sure that the way marriage works is that Zipporah probably also played a part in that as well. I mean, maybe not, but I'm just thinking she had a comment or two about it. Another inference that we're going to make here is that Zipporah, not only was she faithful by the fact she was committed to Moses through the thick and the thin throughout her whole life, we also know that she was a forgiving wife. That's your next, your next little sub-point there. I, I believe that she was forgiving. You say, well, how, what makes you think that? Well, from what I know about marriage, it takes forgiveness and hard work for a couple to maximize God's gift of marriage. And in order to marry Moses and to have a baby with him, I believe that Zipporah would have forgiven Moses of his past sins. Moses was a murderer, and he was a fugitive on the loose. Any of you ladies interested in a man like that? Hey, honey, did you do anything bad before we met? Yeah, I killed a guy and buried him in the sand, and now I'm running from the law. <laughs> I mean, that's the story of what was going on. And yet somehow Zipporah saw through all of that and forgave him. And could it be also that as a descendant of Abraham, that Jethro, the priest, had taught his daughters how they could be forgiven and how they could forgive others? In fact, Jethro's name, Rule, so it's Rule at Jethro, same guy, it means friend of God. Could he have learned this from Abraham as James 2.23 reminds us that the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And somehow that connotation, that same name came down to Jethro. I mean, I believe that this is more than just speculation. In fact, turn with me again to Exodus 18. Exodus 18, 8 through 12, and just listen to Jethro's response after God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, that you see that this really is some type of faithful following of Jethro and his family, because Exodus 18, 8 says, then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done in Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, verse 10, blessed be the Lord. 
who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know, Jethro says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. I mean, can you imagine Moses, the leader of God's people, entering into a marriage and and a covenant with a pagan and with a family of idolaters? I don't think so. I think that Jethro and Zipporah were faithful followers of Yahweh. I believe that Zipporah was a believer in the Lord Most High and that she had forgiven Moses just as she had been forgiven. Is it hard for a mom to forgive? Is it hard for a mother to forgive her children when they disrespect her and treat her with discontent? Is it hard for a wife to forgive her husband who has sinned against others and sinned against her? The answer is yes, it can be hard. Forgiveness is not something that comes naturally and it can be a a hard thing, but God has not left us without hope. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I've seen my mom, my mother-in-law, my wife, aptly apply these verses time and time again as they have all served as examples of God's grace in forgiving me. I mean, as a child, I, I, I would ask my mom as I was taught to seek forgiveness if I sinned against her, and she always responded by saying, I forgive you, and I love you. Moms, you have an opportunity to model a beautiful principle of forgiveness You have an opportunity to to forgive again and again and again because sometimes you get taken advantage of and sometimes it's tough. But we want to say thank you this morning to our moms who show kindness and you show patience and you show tenderheartedness and you forgive those who sinned against you just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And so we want to say thank you for being faithful and for being forgiving mothers. The third characteristic I want you to see of Zipporah, number three, is that Zipporah was a supportive follower. She is a supportive follower. And your next blank blank here says uh, Moses was commissioned by God. First, let's look at chapter four, verses 18 through 20, just about the mentality that Zipporah had to be a supportive follower in Exodus 4, 18 through 20. It says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand." Now, we know that somewhere between Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 4, when Moses fled Egypt and when he returns to Egypt, is Exodus chapter 3. And this is the part where our subpoint says that Moses was commissioned by God. We know that this is an important chapter in the scripture where Moses saw the burning bush 
And he approached the burning bush out of intrigue and God told him to take off his sandals for the land that he was standing on was holy ground. And God clearly called Moses to go back to Egypt to deliver the Israelites and Moses was a little bit afraid. He was a little bit afraid to do so. And you know how the whole story goes where he threw down his staff and there was a snake and he picked it up again and God kind of rebukes him a little bit. Don't be afraid. You, I, you know, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and you go and you do what I've called you to do. This is an incredible calling, an co- incredible commission that was given to Moses right in the middle of our story between, again, Exodus 2 and Exodus 3. And so we see that he's commissioned in Exodus 3. Your next sub-point says that Moses was courteous with Jethro. He's very courteous about, about this understanding that while they had been in Midian for a while and started a family, he now is going to take his wife and his kids and kind of go back to Egypt. And so in verses 18 through 20 that we just read, although Moses was being sent on a mission from God, he did not fail to courteously request permission from the head of the Midianite home, Jethro, to take Zipporah and the two boys back to Egypt. And after 40 years of preparation in the wilderness, Moses now receives this call from God to go back to the place to where he was born, to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And the sons of Israel, in the meantime, had sighed because of the bondage, and they had cried out, and their cry for help rose up to God, and God had heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and Moses takes with him, in these verses 18 through 20, as he's heading back, he takes with him three things on his way back to Egypt. He takes the word of instruction that God had given him in the Exodus 3 burning bush experience. He takes the staff of God, which is mentioned in verse 20, that Moses held in his hand, and he took his family with him. I just think that's interesting. He took the word of God, he took the staff of God, and he took the family that God had given him in order to do his mission. And isn't that a reminder to all of us as dads this morning? I know it's a Mother's Day sermon, but as dads, you've got to take the word of God and the calling that God's placed in your life and the family that God's given you, and you've got to do what God's called you to do. And this experience that Moses had with God at the burning bush was so intense and so life-changing that he knew he must obey God by going back to Egypt. He knew that God's word was a lamp into his feet and a light into his path. And speaking about the staff here that he takes with him, I was reading Philip Graham Ryken's commentary, and he said this about the staff. He says, quote, this staff of God was a representation of God's power. It was a symbol of divine authority. Moses was going to deliver Israel by God's power. With God's staff, he would perform miraculous signs to convince the Israelites that he was God's true prophet. Later, God's staff would accomplish even greater wonders. It would bring disease and death upon the Egyptians, part the waves of the Red Sea, and draw the life-giving water from a rock. You know, it could be easy to think of God's staff as being some magic wand being waved around and you could just have your wish granted But the staff really represents here the power of God. And what the staff represents is still available to us, the power of God. Riken goes on to say, quote, the staff was a visible sign of God's saving power. And now God's saving power comes through the cross. The place to find God's power is not in some supernatural wonder, but in the message of the cross, where Christ was crucified for sinners 
The cross is God's sign. It is the sign of God's love, the sign that he loves us enough to die for us. This is the sign of God's mercy, the sign that our sins are forgiven. So I appreciate just that little aside, just the reminder of that staff representing the authority of God, the calling of God, the provision of God's power. And so we see that Moses, as he's heading back to Egypt, has the word of God in his heart and the staff of God in his hand and the family of God that he had given to him at his side. And what we see here is in your next subpoint that Zipporah was kind enough to follow. It's the point we're trying to make here on Mother's Day. Zipporah was kind enough to follow. I mean, have you ever considered what all this would have been like from Zipporah's perspective? To have fallen in love with a murderer and a fugitive who had been forgiven, and now he had become you know, somewhat stable, stable job as a shepherd. He had started a family. They were there in her home country of Midian. And then, then your husband gets called into the ministry, and he asks you to uproot your household and to leave your extended family, and to take your children to a far unknown place. And what's even worse, your husband wants to go against the world's greatest superpower of the day, single-handedly with a stick in his hand. <laughs> like, Honey, have you lost your mind? <laughs> there are men who have the desire for occupational ministry, they have the character of an elder, the obvious gift of teaching, whose wives would not follow them in their calling. It happens. There's men I've talked to over the years. I would love to go and be a missionary, maybe go to seminary and be a pastor, but my wife's not having it. Not Zipporah. She's a faithful follower of wherever her husband goes. That's where she will go. And I believe that Zipporah was a supportive follower of God and of her husband. She knew that she would follow him without apparent complaint or hesitation. And by this time, she had two sons who, who, who she needed to place both of them on a donkey and began this long journey back to Egypt. Could it be that Zipporah had learned as a girl about her great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah, who followed Abraham? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And Sarah followed Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 5, and Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and all they had gathered, and the people that had been acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. The apostle Peter further explains Sarah's character as a supportive and submissive wife in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Could it be that Zipporah knew about this example in one of the matriarchs of the faith, so to speak, in, in Sarah, Abraham's wife? Could it be that Zipporah had become a spiritual child of Sarah by following in her example and supporting her husband as he now needs to fulfill his mission from God? And today, I just want to thank all the mothers who have given up much to support your husband in whatever calling God has placed in his life. Not every man is called to be a pastor or a missionary, but every man's got a calling from God. 
to be a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ at work and at home and in his neighborhood and maybe in the civil duties that are required of him. But Moses here has an incredible mission given to him by God. And his mission needs to become your mission. And his success of your husband, ladies, this morning, needs to, his success depends a great deal on your support. Behind every great man is a greater woman. We know that today that you are maybe struggling with this or maybe you're a great example of this. And I certainly could thank my wife for following me from California where we got married to Texas and then back to California, which for some people is like a horrible transition. Uh, but for us, we love it, right? We love it. My wife is willing to follow me to the ends of the earth, to wherever God's called me to go. That's the kind of woman I'm married to, and I'm so thankful for many of you moms who feel the same way, that you would be willing to sacrifice the comfort of your home and the familiarity of your house in order to follow wherever God calls you. And part of following where God calls you is where he's taking your husband and where he's taking your family. And you can go anywhere that God calls you to go, except you can't leave California, right? You're stuck here with us, all right, you're stuck here with us. Now. All right, unless the Lord calls you. But we're saying here, thank you, moms, for not being a grumbling hindrance, but instead of being a gracious helper. Thank you, moms, today for being willing not only to come alongside your husband, but to be a part of that team where you're harnessed together in ministry with your hand to the plow and you're willing to break up fallow ground for the seed of God's word to be planted in soft and fertile soil. Thank you, mothers, for being supportive and following your husband. We see that in Zipporah. She's a faithful follower. The fourth characteristic I want you to see of Zipporah is number four. Zipporah was an obedient mother. She was an obedient mother. We're going to look now at chapter four, verses 24 through 26, and this is really the punchline. This is the whole reason I wanted to preach this message. It's about to get real, people. Here we are in Exodus 4. Check this out, verses 24 through 26. At a lodging place on the way, so you remember, Moses has been called by God. He's going back to Egypt. He's got Jethro's permission. They're heading back to Egypt. They stop at Motel 6 on the way. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. You're like, what? What in the world's going on here? Verse 25, then Zipporah took a flint. It would be like a flint knife, an ancient knife, and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So let him alone. It was then, so he, that would be God, let him, Moses, so he let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What in the world is going on? Let's look at this next point, let's talk for a moment about the importance of circumcision, the importance of circumcision. This, this is a very interesting account. And after God had appeared to Moses and given him clear instructions, and Moses had been through all that he had been through and prepared for this special mission, is God really about to forfeit it all? If so, for what reason? 
Is he going to forfeit this whole plan, this whole design for circumcision? You mean to tell me that God was patient enough to work through things with Moses, who killed an Egyptian, who was a fugitive on the loose, who had struggled with fear of man and lacking trusting faith in Exodus 3 at that burning bush experience. And now in Exodus 4, when Moses is trying to obey God and he's going to Egypt, that God was going to kill him? That's precisely what this text is saying. While circumcision may not seem like a big deal to you, it was of utmost importance to God who gave circumcision as a sign of the covenant that he had made with Abraham. In fact, turn back to Genesis 17 because I think, you know, in our culture we lose a sense of how important this is. But in Genesis 17, verses 9 through 14, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." pretty strong words. And for whatever reason, Moses had either forgotten or put off or in the rush of all that was happening, overlooked the sign of the everlasting Abrahamic covenant. And he was about to pay with it for, for, for this sin with his life. And how, how could it be that if he was the spiritual leader of God's people, how could he call them to obey God when he wasn't even obeying the Lord for himself? This passage in Genesis 17 says multiple times, it's for you and your offspring. It's you and your offspring. It's you and your sons. And Moses, in a sense, was failing as a father to pass on the sign of the Abrahamic covenant to his own children. It's almost like Moses has gotten too busy in his ministry to forget to minister to his family and to keep the covenant chain of redemption going by teaching them and walking in obedience and making sure that his boys have been circumcised according to God's command. What we're talking about here, your next blank, is the seriousness of obedience. The seriousness of obedience. We're reminded of the importance for the man of God to be above reproach in every area. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy as part of the qualifications of an elder, 1 Timothy 3 and 4, that he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? And in a similar way, we're saying, how could Moses be a faithful leader of the children of Israel if he's not being fully obedient to all it is that God had called him to do as a Hebrew? And so here in Exodus 4, Moses 
had his wife and his two sons, the first being Gershom and the second was Eliezer. And while we don't know for sure which son had not been circumcised, the Hebrew says her sons, that would be singular, apostrophe S, we could assume that probably Gershom was circumcised earlier. There was a gap between the brothers and that Moses you know, had mentioned Gershom earlier back in Exodus 2.22, but, but Eliezer come along later. And so how, how could Moses here, again, how could he remind the Israelites about the importance of the rite of circumcision as he did at the Passover the night before Israel's deliverance in Exodus 12 if he didn't circumcise his own son? Again, You might still be struggling a little bit. Say, hey, Adam, did God really seek to put Moses to death? Would he have really done it? Well, let me ask you this. Did God show his seriousness about his commands when he struck Uzzah? Was God serious in that moment in 2 Samuel 6, 7, where it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah? You know what Uzzah did? He just simply reached out to steady the ark. The ark was about to topple over. It was about to spill on on the ground. And Uzzah simply reaches out his hand to to touch the ark, to study it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah because there had been very strict uh, descriptions of how the ark was to be transported. It was never to be touched by a human hand. And so God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Or how about the sons of Aaron, the high priest? Those sons would be Nadab and Abihu who in Leviticus chapter 10, it says, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. They they burned the wrong incense at the wrong time without clear instructions and they died for it. So if God killed Nadab and Abihu, and if God killed also Uzzah, don't you think God would have certainly killed Moses for not keeping his covenant without circumcising his own children? Zipporah, somehow being aware of the situation with great courage and with an attitude of obedience, took the flint and performed the circumcision herself She did the cutting and had the blood of her son on her own two hands. She obeyed when Moses would not. She obeyed God's command for the sake of her husband. She obeyed God's command for the sake of her son. She obeyed God's law for the sake of Israel. If there had been no Zipporah, there would be no deliverance of Israel by Moses because there would be no Moses. He would have been dead in the sand, just like he had killed those workers years earlier. He would have died in the desert as a disobedient servant of the Lord. It's a very tense moment. And we can almost see Zipporah shaking and maybe even with tears from this stressful situation. And she says, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. A lot of commentators speak about what that might be referring to, possibly meaning I'm I'm married into a family where there will be much bloodshed from circumcision. Could also be a reference to the deliverance of Israel from fighting against the Amalekites in Exodus 17. It could be talking about Moses commanding the Levites to put their swords on and kill those who worship the golden calf in Exodus 32. Bottom line, 
Zipporah's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be involved in a, pretty, a, a lot of bloodshed going on, whether it's me circumcising my own kids or all the battles that are, they're going to face. The point, though, is that Zipporah obeyed. She did what God would have her do. She stood in the gap for her husband and for her children, and she obeyed God's word because she was an obedient mother. Moms, I just want to thank you today that even though you're following your husband and hopefully he's a Christian and he's doing the work God's called him to, there's times he's going to fall short. And there's times he's not going to obey God. And there's times you need to step up. You need to step up as a mom and say, you know what, honey, I got you. You, you can lovingly confront him. You can lovingly hopefully be a better example for him. But certainly you need to be obedient to the Lord. And I just want to thank you today for all the mothers here who, who are walking in that obedience. Thank you for obeying even when it's hard. Thank you for obeying God's word even when your husbands do not. Thank you for obeying God's word by helping to make your home a place where God is taken seriously and where you model obedience to your children. Thank you for following the instructions for parents, which is given in Deuteronomy 6 in the Shema passage that says, and these words I command you today, they shall be upon your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on, on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Thank you for being that kind of mom who would stand firm in your conviction to obey God no matter what. Thank you for being obedient mothers. So where are these mothers today who are having the character and the strength of Zipporah? Where are the moms who work hard to do all that is required of them without complaining with great joy? Where are the mothers who will forgive their husbands and their children and help keep peace in their home? Where are the mothers who will be supportive and, and submissive followers to God as they follow their husbands who are leading their homes? Where, where are the mothers who will obey God's word even if the husband is overlooking it? Where are these mothers? I believe that they're, they're right here at Placerita Bible Church because I've seen you. I've seen the faithfulness of so many moms, my, my wife and so many other moms. I've seen you faithfully raise your kids and the teaching and admonition of the Lord. And I've seen you follow your husband even when he wasn't at his best. And I've seen you show up at women's Bible study. And I've seen you serve at Awana and on youth staff. And I've seen you time and time again serve over and over. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for serving in the nursery. And thank you for serving in children's ministry. Thank you for, for, for making it a joy to be a pastor of a church that's full of women who are quickly ready to deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And mothers, I, I know it goes without saying, but you can't be the mom that God's called you to be without the shed blood of Jesus who gave his life for sinners. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you're that mom this morning who lacks the power to rise above your circumstance and you lack the patience to deal with your home and you don't know how to model the grace of God because you've never truly turned from your sin and turned to the cross. Now, if that's you this morning, may this be a Mother's Day that you'll never forget because this could be a day of salvation for you. This could be a day where you would strive no longer in your own helpless state 
because you could this very morning come to Jesus today and he will save you. You could confess your sin and your need for a savior. You could believe upon him and you will be saved. And it's only then that you can be a mother who will truly serve your family with inexpressible joy. The gospel's gotta be in your heart. So I'm calling you today, moms, to come to Christ if you don't know him. And if if you are a believer this morning, I just wanna encourage you and say thank you. Thank you for being a godly mom. Hopefully the testimony of Zipporah encourages you this morning that your husband can't do it without you and your kids need a mom who's faithful. Our take home part of our message just says, look to Christ as he empowers you to be a faithful mother. I'm not asking you to be the the perfect, perfect mom. We know we all are pursuing obedience, but we fail and we stumble in our sin. But ask Jesus to empower you to be faithful in your calling. Learn from Christ. Secondly, learn from Christ how to be a a supportive follower, to follow your husband wherever it is that God's calling him. Third, lean on Christ as he helps you obey his word. Are there places in your own family where you need to step up and to be that obedient mother? I pray that God would help you, that he would empower you, and that it would be a joy and a grace for you to be following in the footsteps of Sarah, and that you would follow in the footsteps of Zipporah. Thank you for being godly moms. After we sing our last song, if you want to come for any counsel, any help, we'll have a few people standing right over here by this door, and we would love to talk with you, point you to Christ, point you to Christ's word, and encourage you any way we can today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to to do a Bible study this morning. It's just fun for us to be able to dig into a place in the Bible that we know about, but just to connect a few dots between Exodus 2 and 4 and Exodus 18 and Genesis 25, Genesis 17. There's so much rich, rich uh, theology to think about. Faithful calling of, of Abraham, of Moses, faithful followers of Sarah and Zipporah. And thank you just again for the obedience that we see in Zipporah, the courage she had to take that flint and to walk in obedience as she followed her husband. And I just pray that you would be with the moms here this morning, that they would have that same courage to take up your word and to walk in obedience, to be a great blessing and an encouragement to their husbands and their kids. And God, we just pray that in a culture where motherhood is, is ignored or even scoffed at or certainly put on the back burner, that uh, our moms would feel the, the weight and, and the calling of motherhood as, as a beautiful heavy and in a good sense like it has great significance and and it's a meaningful calling and it's a really a gift and a privilege to be a mom it's it can only happen by your divine hand and with your blessing and so we pray God that you would be with our moms today and you would encourage them and they would walk in peace walk in joy and walk in obedience and that you would be with us as families as we hang out uh, today and, and honor our moms, make a few phone calls and, and just interact with our wives and the mother of our children, that today would be a special day where you would be glorified as we seek to honor Christ and how we think about and talk about and practice motherhood. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.